Who's feeling crazy? This girl. That's a song I just wrote because I'm feeling crazy right now. Ooh, friends. I'm about to open up an office. And let me tell you, moving, obviously everybody hates moving. And when it's an office and you've done it 800 times, there's a lot. So I'm feeling a little little cray-cray right now, but we're going to be okay. So, hi. I guess I should say hi. Welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. My name's Sarah Buino, and I'm your host. And this is a podcast where we talk about the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. And before I get to today's guest, I just want to thank you all for, I got some kind words after I shared the episode where where I let you know that I was going to be skipping and going every other week instead of every week. I got a couple really kind messages of people saying, thank you for modeling, taking care of yourself. So Thank you. Thanks for listening and thanks for understanding. And I hope that you can (sighs) find ways to take care of yourself in your life too. So if you want to talk to me, if you want to hang out, Instagram is the best place to find me at Head Heart Therapy. And we're kind of working on social media strategy right now, you guys. I've literally had no social media strategy except doing whatever felt intuitive in the moment to me. So now I'm actually talking to somebody who like knows shit about social media and we're doing that. So I'm I'm kind of excited to start rolling some stuff out. Anyway, who cares about the social media strategy? You are here for today's guest. Today's guest is Brenna from Real Fucking Talk. So Brenna is a mental health counselor, certified rehabilitation counselor, and the host of Real Fucking Talk podcast. As a therapist, Brenna is passionate about normalizing discussions about mental health. So Brenna and I have totally become BFFs since we did this episode. I was also on her podcast, so make sure you find Real Fucking Talk wherever you listen to podcasts and go check her out. So Brenna is awesome. We cussed a lot in this episode. We, I don't even remember all the stuff we did, but we had such a great time. So I know you're going to dig it. You're going to love her and you're going to love her podcast. So please welcome Brenna. Hello, Brenna. Hello, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I am fucking pumped to be here. I was going to say, we're going to fuck some shit up today, aren't we? Hell yeah, we are. If you don't like cussing, this episode is not for you. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, well, I didn't even say welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. This is my podcast. We'll do your podcast. But tell people just the little snippet, the elevator speech of who you are, what you do. And then we'll like dissect all of the things and put all your guts out on the table. Love it. So (laughs) I actually love that you just reminded me I have a podcast because I typically, when someone asks me for like the elevator speech of who mm-hmm. I am, I always forget that I have a podcast. Girl, last week, I know. Just last week, advertise I was, that shit. I know. I just like fucking forget. Last week, <laughs> I was on a podcast and they were like, "Who are you?" So this is my elevator spiel, and I was mm-hmm. like, "My name is Brenna Guinan. I am a mental health counselor, and I am also a certified rehabilitation counselor. I'm located on Long Island, New York, and I like went on that whole spiel, and then at the end, they were like." And you have a podcast. And I was like, oh my God, yes, I do have a podcast. Yeah. So I also am a podcast host. I host the podcast Real Fucking Talk, which is very similar to this. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I just have people on and they talk about a time in their life when shit got real and they struggled with their mental health. And it's all about just kind of destigmatizing mental health and having these open conversations because we all have our shit. Right. I'm curious the feedback that you get from 
is it like, I get a lot from like people who are thinking of becoming a therapist or like new therapists. Like, I'm curious what you hear from people. I haven't got any people like in that realm who are thinking about entering the field. What I have Mm. gotten, I've lost clients who like have looked me up and found the podcast and just like weren't about it. So I would lose clients. But on the other end of the spectrum, I've also got clients specifically because they listen to the podcast and they're like, I just feel really comfortable with you and I would love for you to be my therapist. But I was joking with my partner, Pat, and I was like, at first I was really butthurt about the fact that like someone would Google me and be like, yeah, no, I don't fuck with her. And then I was like, it's actually really comical when you think about it. Like they saw this podcast, they saw who I am like at my core and they were like, yeah, I don't fuck with this girl. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I mean, like we're not supposed to be for everyone. Mm Mm-hmm which is good. And yet it still fucking hurts, right? Because like when, especially when it's you, right? Oh, You're like yeah. putting the shit out there and someone's like, no, I'm not interested. I know. Literally like my heart and soul. Ow. I know. And my first thing was like, so I work at a private practice. So I have a supervisor mm. and my first thing was like, oh fuck, is she going to be mad? Like, is this good? She mm. knew I had a podcast. I disclosed to her, whatever. She's very comfortable with it. She's listened. She fully supports me. She is just like the best. But it was actually super great because she had told me like, oh, the girl realized you had a podcast and she just didn't like it. And I was like, oh my God, is that like, okay? And she was like, you guys wouldn't have meshed anyway. Like it wouldn't have worked anyway. And I was Mm -hmm. like, you're so right. You win some, you lose some. Yep. We're not for everyone and that's okay. Yes. I just have to keep reminding (laughs) myself of that. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Like we're not for everyone. Not everyone is for me, but I want Mm -hmm. it for everyone. I want everyone to love me. Yeah. I know. I had something come up recently where there was someone I was kind of like distancing myself from and then they like, planned a thing and I wasn't invited. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That is so relatable. That is shit I would do too. Right? Like, how dare you when I'm already distancing myself from you? (laughs) I'm the one leaving. (laughs) Yeah. Like you can't leave me. I'm leaving you and I started this. So you should still be inviting me to your stuff, even though I am not talking to you. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I I understand that language 100%. Um, gee. Okay. Well, let's dig into more of who you are and find out all the other similarities that we have. So why are you a therapist? I love therapist origin stories. Like tell me your shit, right? All the deep, dark, dirty secrets that everybody wants to know right Mm -hmm. now. So my story is actually kind of funny. I graduated college and I majored in psychology because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And on my college graduation day, when it's kind of like, oh shit, I'm really entering the real world. I turned to my dad and I said, I think I'm going to be a teacher. And he was like, that fucking kills me because you didn't get an education degree. But like, okay. (laughs) So in New York, there are charter schools and like charter schools have different reputations everywhere. But in New York, the reputation isn't great. Like public schools here are really good, or at least in my area of New York. So charter schools aren't really focused on, but in the city, they're really big. So essentially to work at a charter school, you don't need an education degree. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And this charter school that I was specifically working at, they would pay for me to get my master's in education. So I was like, this seems like a win-win. Like, great. So I lasted there for two days. And I said, (laughs) I'm not a fucking teacher. Wait, I can't fucking cuss at the fucking 12-year-olds? I can't sit the fuck down. This is not for me. Right. But what really got me was that 
I started Googling like the charter school and I had found out that the principal of the school that I was assigned to made a got to go list. And it was of all of the students in the school who had disabilities. Um, That's illegal. Very illegal. (laughs) And they were trying to get ways to push them out of the school. And the amount of passion that I had about this, I was like, I think I need to work in like a field where this is a part of my everyday life because I feel really passionate about this. So I didn't know what that meant or looked like for me, but Mm -hmm. I knew that that job was not it for me. So I started waitressing and nannying and just making money while I figured it out. And when I was waitressing, I was actually on shift with this girl who I like didn't really love. But she was telling me that she had just graduated from this program at Hofstra University, which is by us. And it was rehabilitation counseling and licensed mental health counseling. And I was like, okay, I know what mental health counseling is, but what's rehab counseling? Rehab counseling, a lot of people aren't aware of it, but it is essentially advocating for people with disabilities, whether it be developmental, mental, emotional, physical. So it's a lot of job readiness skills and helping people live a more independent life and whatever that looks like for them. Hmm. So it's very different. There's a lot of rehab counselors in like the VA helping veterans who've come back and lost limbs or have PTSD and all of that. But there's also rehab counselors in some schools where, you know, it's like, okay, let's work with your IEP and what is college going to look like for you? Are you going to college? Do you want to enter the workforce? Do you need accommodations to do that? Let's figure this out. Let me help you get those accommodations. So I was set on that. I was like, rehab counseling is my jam. And I actually met with the head of the department. And the first thing I said to her was, listen, don't try to get me in the mental health counseling program. I'm never going to be that person who says, how do you feel? Like, that's not who I am. And she laughed. She was like, okay, I won't push it, whatever. So she didn't push it. She stuck to her word. And then in the middle of my first semester, I obviously had to take an intro to counseling class. And my professor pulled me aside and he was like, you need to also add in the mental health counseling program. And I was like, no, thank you, but no. And he was like, no, you were meant to do this. And I was like, shut up. Like, no, I wasn't. (laughs) And I'm stubborn. So I was like, oh, you want me to? Now I'm I I can't tell that about you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's like, oh, you want me to do something? Now I'm just going to do the opposite, even if I want to do it. Right. So then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? What can it hurt? It's only one extra semester. I'll have two degrees, like whatever, just do it. And I did my practicum at a structured day program for clients who had traumatic brain injury. Loved it. And then I was assigned an internship at the private practice I work at now. Hmm. I fell in love with mental health counseling. And I was like, holy shit, I can't imagine doing anything else with my life. Hmm. So I currently work part-time at this private practice and I see about 25 clients per week. That's part-time? I know. That's our full-time at our practice. 25 per week? 20. Oh, shut up. Yeah. What? How is part-time? Yeah. Like I get it because it's a lot, but so I work part-time at this private practice. And then I also am just on Monday starting a very short part-time job. It's only three months because it's a maternity leave position, but I'm Mm -hmm. working at a community college in my area in the Office of Disability Services. So I'll really be utilizing my CRC degree 
and helping kids with their IEPs and their IPEs and helping them get accommodations and job readiness skills and all of that. So I feel like as crazy as my life is right now, which I was just telling you offline, (laughs) like... Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm in a really good place in my life and I'm at Mm. such a happy medium of everything that I want to be doing. So I feel really lucky, but it was for sure a journey. That's really exciting. And I can feel the passion and the excitement and the like positivity. That's super cool. I'm glad to hear that. Yay. Thank you. I know it's, it's a lot and it will be a lot. I have like anxiety about, you know, because when I said I work part-time at a private practice and I have 25 clients, you were like, what the fuck? So I do have anxiety about like, okay, how am I going to like have another job? And like I said, it's very part-time. It's only three days a week, 10 to four. So like it's very part-time, but still that's like a big chunk of my week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we could certainly talk about uh, workaholism (laughs) or, right. I mean, but in our profession, we tend to torture ourselves and- prostrate ourselves to the client and to, you know, the system. And I've been really trying to lean into like anti-capitalism, like mm. being more in right relationship and trying to like shift my expectation. I'm, I'm the practice owner, so I get to set the rules. Love. So it's a little bit different. But yeah, like, I mean, I, I don't know how people survive financially. I can't, I can't say, <laughs> but my staff seem to be doing okay. So I mean, obviously yeah. it's working. And people can work more if they want to, but I gotta work I, for you. Yeah. Come move to <laughs> Chicago. Let's do it. Oh my God. I've never been to Chicago. I want to pick up that bean. Oh yeah. Well, I won't go there with you. I'll just, I'll put you on the oh. I'll send you down. Fuck the bean. I don't care. Okay. Fuck the bean. I don't want to be a tourist. <laughs> fuck the bean. Oh my God. Oh yeah. my God. But with work, I feel like, and I like hate that I'm publicly admitting this, but like, I feel like I have a little bit of the savior complex where I'm like, people need my help. Like I have to work so much because they need me. Yeah. They're like, no, Brenna, they don't need you. They just need someone and it doesn't have to be you. Yeah. Well, and we need to learn to need ourselves and like mm. give ourselves the things we didn't get. So true. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Well, I'm curious for you because that's, I mean, that's a huge part of my story as well. Mm. I'm curious like where that came from for you, how that savior, that need to care for people, where that came from. I actually think it's something that really I just realized within myself in the last couple of years. I think once, Mm. honestly, it probably started with that fucking professor who like gassed me up and was like, you're meant for this. Like, I'm a guess it started earlier, girl. (laughs) Let's be honest, Honestly, right? <laughs> like, don't fuck with me. I'm a therapist. <laughs> That's the worst, like, working with therapists. Even in my own therapy, like, yesterday I had my personal therapy session. And I was like, Same. I, yeah, I said something and I was like, and I know that what you're thinking now is that, but it's not really what it is. And I feel like half of my personal therapy session is me being like, I know what you're thinking, but that's not correct. Where, like, it probably is. Let her do her job. That's so interesting. Do you find, because I I have a couple clients that are therapists too. I'm hearing like, and not in a shitty way, but like a a power struggle, right? Like a difficulty, like letting go and giving into the experience. For me, what's really interesting and my, the girl who produces my podcast is actually one of my best friends. And it's so interesting because my podcast is all about people sharing their story and being vulnerable and being truthful. That is so hard for me to do. Like, I think subconsciously, I started this podcast because I needed to start doing that for myself. Hmm. But I had to feel some sense of control 
over it. So that is really difficult for me to just kind of speak my truth and then not defend it where you can speak Mm. your truth and you can be honest and you don't always need to defend what you did or what you said or how you are. You can just say it, you know, and there doesn't need to be this like protective factor with it. So I'm going to say a thing and we'll talk about it and then we'll unpack it. But have you heard of NARM? No. My whole audience is rolling their eyes now because they can't stop talking about it. (laughs) Like, shut the fuck up about NARM. (laughs) It's a therapy modality. It stands for neuroaffective relational model. Oh, why don't I know about this? Because it's kind of new. Oh, okay. It's been around for a minute, but they're really just starting to like beef up their training programs because everything you said is a product of developmental trauma. Mm, Yes. (laughs) Correct. Right. And NARM is actually, I could, I could NARM you if you want. NARM me now. You want to do it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. This is fun. I've never done it on the podcast. And okay. why not? Because you can see how it is. So, well, I hope you don't cry. <laughs> or if you do, it's going to be great. Okay. So the way we start a NARM session is asking what it is that you want for yourself. So you're, you're talking about this, you know, like feeling the need to take care of people and yeah. I need to be needed, all that. So maybe around that, what do you want for yourself? I think what I want for myself is to be able to accept the fact that not everyone needs me and not everyone, I don't know how to articulate it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I want to be able to be okay with the fact that like to not be needed, I guess. Like there's something that scares me about people not needing me or wanting me Mm -hmm. or whatever. You know what I mean? So I want to be okay not being needed. Yeah. And still, I want to be okay with that, but I also still want to feel loved. I think a lot of times I correlate with being needed as like feeling loved. Okay. Yeah. So I want to feel loved without needing to be needed. Yeah, I think so. And if you felt that way, if you felt loved without needing to be needed, what would be on the other side of that? What would show up for you? If I felt loved without needing to be needed. I guess just like freedom, like very, you know, like no strings attached. Mm -hmm. Great. So I'd be happy to explore with you what gets in the way of feeling free. Hit me with it. (laughs) So I guess if you can think of a time recently when you've had this like need to be needed sort of feeling, we can deconstruct that and see what's in there. This is so fun, by the way. I've never done this on the show. Oh my God, good. I was like thinking in my head, I was like, I hope that this is not like derailing her whole like plan for this interview. I kind of think people are going to be into it. Love it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so what did you ask me? I said, if you can think of the last time that you've had this experience of needing to be needed and we can deconstruct that and see what's there. I can't think of like specific times, but like for situations, it's like if someone tells me something happened to them earlier in the week. I'm like, oh, well, why didn't you tell me then? You know, like, why didn't you need me right away? Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there's a little charge when you when you have that experience of like, why didn't yes. you tell me then? Yeah, yes, so what do you notice as you tell me that? Right now, what I'm noticing in myself is that I feel mm-hmm. like really seen. Like, I feel like you really understand mm. what I'm feeling. But in those moments, I feel like almost a little bit anxious where I'm like, mm-hmm. why didn't you tell me? And like, almost, I guess, like, hurt where like, bitch, they're fucking telling you right now. Calm down. Mm -hmm. So like, there's always that moment where I'm like, why didn't you tell me? And then the logical side of my brain pops in and it's like, they're Mm -hmm. telling you now. 
like it's fine. And then it's fine. But I wish that that wasn't there. Like I wish that that initial thought was different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is the Narn piece that is like, it feels really different. And I'm just, I'm framing it also this way, A, because it looks like you're super interested in like learning this and the other is kind of like deconstruct it for the clients. So what I saw just happen there is I was inviting you into the present moment. And you sat there for a second and you were like, oh, it feels so nice to be seen. And then you went back to the story of the struggle, right? And so it's just, we just watch for that. We just watch for the connection and disconnection and expansion and contraction. And NARM is a very like present moment focus. So we're always inviting mindfulness, essentially. Yeah. In the present moment, right? Oh, so so I didn't realize I did that. Right, Exactly. And what I'm, I guess what I'm tuning into too is what happens internally for you when you're in the present moment and you were feeling connected to me, you were feeling seen. And then the difference in the energy when you shifted back to the story. I guess like, I feel like maybe subconsciously and deep down, there's a part of me that's like almost embarrassed that I Mm. feel those things. So maybe Mm. talking about it is uncomfortable. And like I was saying before, Mm. like being vulnerable is, uncomfortable for me. And I think a large part of why I went into therapy is because yeah. it's like all about the client. It's not allowed to be about me. Sorry. These 45 minutes are you. Yeah. Are you feeling vulnerable right now talking about this? I don't know if I feel vulnerable, but I definitely feel like I'm being very truthful, but it doesn't mm. feel consciously. I don't feel uncomfortable, <laughs> but I'm wondering if subconsciously, since I quickly tried to divert what's going on, I wonder if subconsciously I'm like, you know, no, don't do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we have this need to be needed, there's such a like deep seated, it's so deep and it's all trauma based. Like, what does it feel like to be sharing this with me right now? And also like knowing that this is being recorded, people are going to hear it at some point. Right. <laughs> Wait, so like this is what, recorded. Oh, Wait, what? Did, I, did I not tell you that? Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. You guys, she totally knew. <laughs> People will be like, what? Were you fucking... It's a sting operation? Wait, is this not my personal therapy session? Wait, what? Wait, what? Now, this is confidential. <laughs> okay, wait, what did you say? How does it feel in this moment to be really, you know, we're... And we're being... Li- and I'm being light on purpose, right? right. But, we're, but we're still, you know, digging into something that I think is a deep area of wounding, you know, potentially. So what is yeah. it like to be here with me doing this? It feels nice. Being vulnerable is obviously something that I have been working on myself because, like I said, I did realize that that's hard for me. And I think in the past, it's been an issue in friendships and relationships because I just have these walls up that I feel uncomfortable letting people see who I really am. But in the last, I'd say like two years, I've gotten really comfortable with the woman that I am. And I love who I am. And I'm like no longer feeling the need to put up these walls. So it feels really freeing. But there is still, you know, this is still new for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that there's part of me that's like uncomfortable. But I'm mm-hmm. also so proud of myself for, you know, just being me and being truthful. Because I know that my truth and me sharing this could probably help someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So I hear both sides of it, right? There's a part that is uncomfortable and knows that there's more work to do. And then there's this other part that's like leaning into how proud you are of yourself. Yeah. I'm very into parts work, if you can't tell, but Mm -hmm. is is this all about parts work too? No. This is interesting. I kind of want to learn more about this. Yay. Great. I'll tell you all about it later. Is it something you get certified in? 
Mm-hmm. Very cool. I'll ask about it later. I want to know what the certification <laughs> process is like. Yeah, I'll tell you all about that offline. But yeah, so so we can end scene here if that's okay. There's a whole yeah. lot more with Narm, but you at least kind of get the feel for yeah. how it interrupts the storytelling process. Mm. And for those of us who are really good at telling our story and in an intellectual way, because I could see you like stop and be like, wait, that's a weird question. Like, That puts me outside of like what my normal like neural pathways do. It's so fucking effective. Like I want to be a client that does this, but I also want to be a clinician that does this. It seems really powerful. It's changed my life. Wow. Have you done it as a client? Yeah. (gasps) Very cool. What did you do first? Were you a clinician that did it or were you a client that got it done to them? I started the therapy when I signed up for the training. So I think it was like three or four months that I started receiving the therapy before I started learning how to do it. And the certification process is just about a year. And it's funny because as I'm doing this with you, I'm also relating as the client. So NARM is really cool about, as a therapist, letting go of the agenda and letting go of needing to get the client somewhere. But I'm always, I'm feeling into the tension between the client and therapist, right? And I felt you wanting to steer in a particular direction. And I was like, hey, like, let's look over here. And I was doing that like so hard. And I I realized I I became a better client once I was a therapist because then I knew it was happening. But Mm. then when I went into NARM, it was so different. I was like, I'm not fucking letting you drive. Like I am driving this goddamn bus. And then once I figured it out, then I can like... (laughs) I can kind of sort of drive because I know where we're going and I know where like the juice is with this Mm. modality because it's really like at the end of the day, an invitation to reclaiming our agency that was lost in whatever childhood trauma experience that we had. And in that process of reclaiming our agency, self-compassion and self-love shows up in a really fucking beautiful, amazing way. I have never experienced self-love like I do now. It's just so accessible. Whereas before it was just like moments here and there, maybe, but mostly like self-hate and shame all the Mm. time. See, that is something I'm so interested to see how NARM could help me because I feel like it could be so helpful to likely everyone. But yeah, I don't feel like shame or self-hate. Like I have always been, and my friends and family will make fun of me for this, but like I am always... I love myself. Like I will always take at least like an hour to do some sort of self-care for me. Mm -hmm. Like I very much so prioritize myself. So I wonder in what other ways Narm could help me, you know, because self-love is like good. I love myself. I think you should love yourself. I think everyone should love themselves. But I wonder what other parts of me that maybe I'm not fully acknowledging or fully accepting Mm -hmm. of, but it could really help me accept. Well, there's something in the need to be needed. Well, I think that the root of that is like a fear, right? I'm not needed. People won't talk to me or whatever. Yeah. Which actually is shame. It's if the fear of not being good enough. Yes. You're so right. It's interesting because like I did the Brene Brown training many, many years ago. And Mm. what I learned through that was I would have told you many years ago that I had 
great self-worth. I feel really good about myself because I generally am like, you know, walking around like, hey, I'm hot shit. I'm good at this shit. (laughs) But at the end of the day, there was just this like, am I good enough question all the time? Mm. And then when I looked deeper at it, it was like, no, I actually feel not good enough. And I am running around acting like I think that I am fooling my fucking self and fooling everyone else. And part of it for me and the need to be needed was like continually needing to prove that I'm good enough. Like you said, like to be lovable. Like I'm only lovable if I am doing something for you. Cause that's what I learned in childhood. That's what was modeled to me by my mom, you know? Mm, Yeah. I'm just thinking back to my childhood. Like, so I was an only child. Well, I am an only child. Um, (laughs) You were all of a sudden. I was. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I am an only child. Mm -hmm. And my parents' marriage was not great. Mm -hmm. They're still together, but like, it's not a marriage, you know? And there was a lot of fighting. So Mm. I think as a kid, I just felt really alone and really scared. But that's definitely where I learned to hide who you are because there was so much shit happening at home that I just wanted to be like normal at school. So I would go to school and not talk about, you know, the huge fight my parents got into or not talk about any of that. And I think that that kind of poured over into other areas of my life where it's like, oh, that's not so pretty. Don't tell anyone. Yeah, absolutely. But now I talk about my shit. Yeah. So no one's safe. No. (laughs) Sorry, mom and dad. I know, right? My parents are dead, so it helps. (laughs) My parents are dead, so that helps. I was waiting. I wanted, yeah, I wanted to like wait for it to land, see the reaction. Most people are horrified when I say that. I knew you wouldn't be. And listeners might be clutching their pearls right now, and that's okay. But it's easier. I'll just say that. It's actually so funny you say that because... It's so funny your parents are dead. <laughs> That's hysterical. That's the funniest thing I've heard all fucking day. Oh my God. But something that I've said to Pat a lot is like, so I've never gone into like specific details about what happened just because I'm also a big proponent in this story is not fully mine to tell. Mm-hmm. There are other people involved. So my truth is not necessarily their truth. Of course, I'm cognizant enough to know that I was a child. So there are things that I didn't know, I still don't know, and that are frankly none of my business. But I have said those exact words to Pat, like it would be so much easier if they were not here because then I would be able to share my truth without any repercussions or whatever. And you know, maybe that day will come one day where I either feel comfortable enough to do it with them here or they won't be here or whatever. But there's something that feels really uncomfortable for me about sharing a story that's not fully mine. Yeah. Oh, 100%. If my parents were alive, there's no way I'd be able to have this podcast. Mm, not even a podcast? No, because my mom would have listened and taken everything personally. I always felt like I had to... She wanted to be enmeshed and I was always Mm. resisting that. And so she would try even harder then to like get inside of me. So there's no way I could, I couldn't put this out there. And I Mm. truly, I think about, this is a story I've told, I don't know if I've told it on the podcast before, but when they died, the feeling, and they died nine months apart. So it's like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. No. Don't be. It's okay. This is not a negative thing, but I, it's truly, I think, better for all of us. I think it was better for them too. I think they needed to move on from this lifetime, but it, it was, you know, not fun to have that yeah. happen, you know, nine months apart. And they'd been divorced for 25 years, but I went to a psychic and she's like, they always go together. They have a pact that in every lifetime they find each other and then they go at the same time. What? 
Yeah, we could totally talk about witchy things too. Well, you know I'm into witchy shit. I know. I know. Oh my so God. the feeling that I got that I expressed to my therapist at the time was, do you, you know, I can never remember the name of the actual song. I'm such an asshole. But David Bowie's song, The Major Tom one. Yeah. What's it called? Why can't I think of the actual name? But everyone knows what I'm talking about. The Major yeah, Tom yeah. song. That song used to scare the shit out of me as a kid because the idea of floating off into the ether with nothing to stop you, that terrified me. I remember being in the backseat of my dad's fucking Camaro thinking like, I'm scared out of my mind right now. That was the feeling I had when my parents died. My dad died in March. My mom died in December. And as soon as she was gone, it was like, I can float away and there's nothing to stop me. Mm. But then later, after I'd done some healing with the grief, I recognized that that meant there was no one to stop me. And I could expand. I could grow. I could be what I finally like. I could be myself. Mm. <laughs> so that's why I don't feel without any malice. I don't feel like it was a, a bad thing. It, it had to happen for me to be yeah, able to be it who I am. Like that was a turning point for you in terms of your self-growth and acceptance. Oh, for sure. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I'm happy that that was, you know, the mindset you chose to move forward with because I feel like it's far too easy to get sucked into the victim mentality oh. with that. Yeah. My boyfriend talks a lot about this because his dad and uncle passed away in 9-11. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he has really made like a life for himself and all of that. But he talks a lot about the fact like I could use that as an excuse for the rest mm -hmm. of my life to be a piece of shit and not do anything. Like my dad died when I was 13. I was super traumatized, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, I'm just not doing that. Like life is way too short to sit here and like mope around about something negative that happened. Yeah, that fucking sucked. But mm -hmm. my whole life doesn't have to suck because that sucked. Absolutely. Yeah. And your whole life doesn't have to suck because you had parents that fought and all the things that went along with that. So true. And that's actually something this last year that I really, really took charge of my life. Like I have this apartment that I feel really, really safe in and comfy mm. and it's cozy and it's mine and I love it. But that's something that's always been really important to me, like having a safe space. For so long, I felt like I really didn't have a place that was mine that I felt safe in and mm. that I was comfortable in. And yeah. now I'm at this place where I know at the end of the day, I have a place that's mine and a place that's safe and a place mm. that other people feel safe and comfortable in too. So yeah. it's been really life-changing, kind of taking control of my life and just being like, listen, I'm going to cultivate the life that I want. And just because I wasn't mm -hmm. born into this life that I want doesn't mean that it can't turn into that. Can I ask how old you are? 27. I'm so happy for you. You have all the time to like, because you have you have your shit together so much more than I did at 27. <laughs> Like, I'm just really, I'm proud of you. I don't even fucking know you, but I'm proud Thank of you. you. Yeah, there's a there's a really special light about you that's just really lovely. And I, I feel how right this is for you. Yeah, I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I'm just like, and I said this, I can't remember if I said this when we were recording or not, but I just feel like I'm at this really good place in my life. I'm happy and I'm not just content, but I feel like I'm still like achieving my goals and reaching for more and doing all of this stuff while still appreciating what I have and all I've got. So yeah, I feel really lucky to prioritize my self-care and my mental health and stuff because none of this yeah. 
would have been possible without me kind of putting myself in check. Yeah. Hmm. I'm so glad we met. I know. I can't wait to record for my podcast once like my shit stops hitting the fan. Yeah. I love this. I love this too. Well, now we're best friends forever. Forever. (laughs) (laughs) And we met on Instagram, you guys. We didn't mention real fucking talk on Instagram, but we'll do that at the end. I know. And I love what you post on Instagram. It's so funny. Oh, thanks. You too. (laughs) So let's do the healer spiel. Yes. Would you consider yourself a healer? You know, it's so funny because I saw that in your email and I've never really thought about it like that, but I do talk a lot about having a gift. Like I think Mm. what we do really is a gift. Hearing people's stories and really seeing people for who they are and being able to accept them and support them regardless of our own views is a gift. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's something that a lot of people can do. Yeah. So I'm very vocal about the fact that it's a gift. I've never thought about myself as being a healer, but I think that that's one in the same, you know? So yeah, I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> There's something that feels uncomfortable about being like, I'm a healer. Yeah. Well, what is? What is uncomfortable? I think it feels like powerful mm-hmm. and that feels uncomfortable for me. Yeah. You consider yourself a healer? I do. And what I found after asking this question like over 150 times is it really matters how you're defining the term healer. Mm. And if you're defining the term healer as someone who does something to someone that they can't do to themselves, then you're going to say, no, I'm not a healer. But if you're someone who defines a healer as you know, co-creating and supporting and being a vessel and that sort of thing, then you might identify as a healer. Yes. And with the power thing too, a lot of people will talk about, you know, how there have been plenty of like gurus and healers who have abused that position and not wanting to identify with that. Again, that like label of being a healer. But so I really identify it as I am a person who is in contact with my gifts and honest about the fact that it's a gift. And so I want to be able to say I'm a healer, knowing that it's still a relational process. It's not something I do to you. And I refuse the clients who reach out to me and say, you're the one who can help me. I say, no, you've already objectified me and I can't do this. This is not the type of relationship that I can have with my clients. Like the client needs to come in knowing that they have work to do, Mm -hmm. right? I'm just going to put up the mirror. I'm just going to ask you some interesting questions and put out some thoughts that I'm tuning into, but that's it. Like the work is you. That's my favorite part about therapy is being able to watch a client come in with whatever's going on with them. And then months later, years later, being able to really reflect to them, like, look at how much you've changed. Like, Mm -hmm. look at all that you've done. And then I love it when they're like, oh, well, I couldn't have done it without you. And I'm like, but you did it. Like, I didn't do this work for you. What happens in the therapy room is 5% of all of the change that happens in people's lives. You know, you have to do the work. You can come to therapy twice a week if you want, but Mm -hmm. you're not putting in the work outside of the therapy office. Nothing's going to change. Right. And we could be giving you the most brilliant insights that any therapist has ever had. But if you're not applying them outside of the therapy room or thinking about them outside of the therapy room, yeah, nothing's going to shift. Totally. So yeah, I mean, I guess I would consider myself a healer. I need to like get more comfortable with that word. Sure. There's something about that word that's like, we're not, you don't have to. I'm not the boss of you. I'm not telling you you're a healer. Yeah. (laughs) I definitely do think it's a gift. 
Like I for sure feel gifted that I am able to do this. And it's something that, you know, it's hard work, but it's also something that comes naturally to me. And like, like you, I feel this like really good energy and like calming presence. And I think that just like having that is such a gift. Mm -hmm. And it can be cultivated. So I, I guess I'm thinking of the listener who's like, oh, but I'm not calm and I'm not this and I'm not that. Well, we learned this. This is part of learning how to be a therapist and doing your own work. If you're not doing your own work and you're a crazy blubbery mess inside, yes, that's not a good, (laughs) that's not a good match, but you can shift that. My favorite TikTok is one where it's like a girl who's a therapist is joking and she's like, oh, you're a therapist. You must really have your shit together. And then she like pops up from the bed and she's like, no, I'm a psychopath out of sessions just like you are. I'm like, that is so true. We're all just psychopaths trying to help each other. Totally. (laughs) Well, how do you feel about the term wounded healer? I feel way more comfortable with that. There's something about the word healer that I feel like almost a God complex or something. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. like I said, I have this weird like savior complex, but at the end of the day, like I'm not a narcissist where I'm like, as much as I feel like people need me, like I cognizantly know that they don't. But wounded healer, I feel comfortable with because for me, it feels really safe to add in that wounded word mm-hmm. because it's like, I'm not perfect. So I right. think I correlate the word healer with like perfection. Mm. So I think adding in the word wounded healer, I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, you've struggled too. You get it. And at the end of the day, we've all struggled. So even someone right. who considers themselves a healer is a wounded healer, you know? Yep. But yeah, I think I would call myself a wounded healer. Okay. I'm a part of the club. Yes. I love it. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, like this is the end of the hour and I feel like we do need to talk more. Obviously, I'll be on your podcast, but we need to talk more outside of that. But why don't you tell people all the places that they can find you? Yes. So my podcast, Real Fucking Talk, is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. The fucking is spelled F-C-K-N. So you can find that on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, whatever. On Instagram, I am real.fckn.talk. And my website is rftpodcast.com. Amazing. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited we got to chat and that I get to know you. And I feel like this is the start of a beautiful friendship. Absolutely. And in my head just now, I was like, we should do like lives or something. Like, <gasps> you should, yeah. Oh, friend. Friend. Yes. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Cool. Well, listeners, stay tuned because I'm sure we will do lives in the future. But Yeah, I'm just, I'm really just happy to have a new friend. Thank you. Yay. And for all of you listening, Sarah's going to be on my podcast soon. So check it out. That's right. Yay. Yay. Thanks so much to Brenna for fucking real talking on today's episode. And if you want to learn more about Brenna or real fucking talk, you can check her out on our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.